What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Oh, welcome back into the Wells Cast. I'm, I'm the guy whose name is on the show. I don't even know how to intro these things anymore because you know what? Corona. I'm blaming everything on Corona now. The fact that I'm not witty and interesting and can't come up with cool intros into my show, guess what? It's because of the Wuhan virus, COVID-19. The fact that I can't perform adequately in the bed, COVID-19. The fact that I can't lose weight, COVID-19. The fact that my father doesn't respect my work, COVID-19. Does anyone else think that alcohol just doesn't work on them anymore? I've just reached a point, I feel like, in my in my quarantine where I just don't think alcohol works anymore. My body has just become used to it. It's just like a part of its daily routine. My liver's like, oh, you guys, you're drinking again? Oh, cool. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> it's only noon. Yesterday, you started at 10 a.m. Good for you. I am starting to lose it a little bit. Thank God for this show. It gives me something to do. And luckily, I'm doing this show early enough in the day where I haven't started drinking. But you know what? Maybe this show will be better if I just got cocked on some blackberry brandy and said, you know what? Let's roll. Who knows? Probably not, though. I started doing TikToks. That's a thing. Am I too old for it? Probably. Am I going to do it? Why not? Hope everyone got that stimulus check in. Here's the thing. You know, I'll tell you who deserves this stimulus check. My liver. That's who deserves it. It's been working overtime. Everything else is just taking it off, you know? My feet aren't going to work because we're not walking anywhere. My hair's not going to work because guess what? I haven't showered in a couple weeks. My liver's like come home from a long day. Jesus Christ, guys. I'm working double shifts over and over again. I'm losing my mind. Feet are like, really? I haven't seen work in weeks. I don't know. Excited about today's show. You know, we have all these guests that kind of find these weird routes to success. The common denominator of a lot of our guests are they're really good at something else and then realize that although that something else came easy to them 
or they worked hard on it. It wasn't the thing that drove them to happiness. And everyone's heard that stupid line, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. It's very true, especially for today's guest. I mean, this guy started as a sports star. He had his pick of playing collegiate golf or baseball, decided to go play baseball, went to the University of Southern Mississippi, which is a great baseball school, by the way. He actually played in the College World Series back in 2009. Then you know what he was like? You know, I'm going to play the guitar. So he picked up a guitar, taught himself how to play it, and then pivoted to become a really well-known country singer. Toured the likes of Carrie Underwood, Chris Young, Kane Brown. Written songs for Darius Rucker, Hootie and the Blowfish. Today on the Wellscast, we're going to hear a very cool story from Adam Doliak. So stick around. This is one you are not going to want to miss. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. 
oh, that's not this, oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Wells Cast. Very excited to have on the show, Adam Doliak. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I mean, I guess I'm doing as good as you can do during these crazy times. How is your quarantine going? Like you said, it's definitely crazy times. I wish I was there uh, next to you in a studio doing this doing this with you. But, you know, I, I'm pretty lucky, I think, all, all things said and done. I'm, you know, being a songwriter, um, obviously we lost the ability to go play live shows, which is brutal, but um, I'm still able to write. I've been writing songs every single day uh, using Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, I still get to make music and record music and all that stuff. So my life hasn't changed as much as a lot of people's has. Um, and we're just trying to find the positives in it. I think uh, somebody like myself, people don't realize, but like I was home one weekend total last year. Yeah. Uh, out of out of the 52 of them, I was there for one. So like me and my girlfriend and uh, have got to spend a lot of time. We normally wouldn't. And same same with my family. I'm actually down here in Mississippi with my, my mom and dad uh, right now. So that's been good. I was talking about it with my brother because my brother and I both love going to see live shows and experience live music. And really, I mean, this is hard on everybody, but this is really hitting musicians hard. I mean, yes, you make a good amount of money, you know, with your publishing deal and that's awesome. But like a lot of musicians make their money hitting the pavement, it's selling merch and all those live shows. How long until like, you're going to be like, dude, we got to get back to work. Oh, dude, I'm I'm there now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I mean, like my girlfriend played a, a song the other day on the radio and it was a live version of the song. And I was like, you got to turn that off. You got to turn it off right now. It's just killing me. I, like, yeah. I want to go play a live show right now. I don't know. We're hearing a lot of absurd rumors. You know, I've heard a lot of things from, you know, like fall of 2021. I don't think it'll be that long, but obviously it's going to be one of the last things to get reinstated as, as gathering of large people at concerts, you know, yeah. so. We're all, I think everybody's just kind of optimistic for sometime this fall, September, October, somewhere in there. But I think as far as the the level of, hey, we got it, it's time, it's there, you know? And what people don't realize is, sure, it sucks for me as an artist, but take your Jason Aldeans or Kenny Chesney's, you know, they've got 100 people working for them on any given day and their crews and their bands. And it really trickles all the way down so much further than what pe what people see. And that's the that's the hardest part, you know, people who aren't the musicians, people who are going to these shows, we're all like losing our minds and we need that. You know, we need that feeling of live music and that togetherness that you get when you go to a show. So hopefully it'll be back to normal sooner rather than later. I mean, it's cool to see all these musicians like doing Instagram lives and performing. And I guess this is kind of the same thing of people getting to listen to this show while they can't go see live music and and hear the musician stories. But I got to get out and see a live show. And I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. I think this whole quarantine process has been I don't think anyone's going to come out the other side of it the same exact person they were when it started. You know, I think people are finding kind of new ways and even probably better ways to do things, having to be forced to do it differently. But the one like kind of silver lining I feel about that in the live music is like you say, it's such a 
release and a relief to go, you know, be around a, a group of people and sing at the top of your lungs, be at a show. I don't think that there actually is a replacement for that. Yeah. You know, no matter how long we're quarantined or whatever, you can't actually find something that would eventually take its place. You know, I think it's just going to be a matter of time till we can get back. But when it does, it's just going to be we may be playing six shows a week trying to keep up with the schedule, everything getting canceled. But we're I think everybody's OK with that. You know, your EP Famous just dropped. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Was there a thought process of this is a good time to drop a record because everyone's just stuck and just kind of absorbing as much media as possible or was the thought i don't know if this is a great time because you can't tour right behind it what's the business acumen going into that well for us it, it wasn't actually there was no strategy involved before this even happened this was kind of the plan the timeline of when this was going to come out anyway um and then once this all kind of happened we all looked at it and said well should we keep it should we keep the release coming out should we move it till later when this is done you know what should we do and i think I don't think this is ideal to drop music for anybody, you know, in the middle of something so crazy, but it in a, in a time where everything is shut down, streaming and digital and, you know, podcasts and everything is not. And I think people are definitely paying a, a lot of attention to their phones and computers and everything right now. So I think it's, you know, a good time to, to drop anything. But this was just uh, honestly the plan from the whole time. And luckily, we didn't have to deviate from that. I will say I was, you know, you get to looking at the track listing and some of these songs are four years old and some of them are eight months old. And so they all kind of come together. And I started looking at the track listing and I ended up putting an EP out with a song called Solo. It says, I don't want to be solo. <laughs> and then the, the next song on the EP is I Choose Lonely. And I'm like, <laughs> you you can't plan. Like, how in the world does this happen in the middle of a quarantine? <laughs> uh, and famous. Famous, the single, is the first two lines are must have been living under a rock, must have not left the house for a couple of years. And I'm just like, this is a this is a quarantine EP. Yeah, yeah. you manifested <laughs> this. You're the reason why we're it's all, all my in. fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at Spotify numbers and Famous has over 24 million spins. So, yeah, way to go, dude. I saw the video. Why did you choose, and, and don't get me wrong, because I love him, and I served him drinks in paradise, and I I helped console his broken heart, but why did you choose to have Colton on your video? You know, I actually learned that about you this morning. That You know, I actually didn't, I knew you from Lightning 100 in, mm -hmm. in Nashville and that kind of world, and I did not know you were on The Bachelor, so I learned that this morning when I was kind of looking into it. But Colton and Cassie, it was more of, they kind of chose me other than me choosing them. I have never been a hardcore watcher of the of the show. Yeah. Um, and I just signed my first record deal with Sony in October of last year. So Famous came out January of last year, a little over a year ago, and... So as an independent artist, when you put a new new song out and somebody like Colton and Cassie with millions of followers, they had reposted a video and they said they had their, their phone held up on a road trip to Aspen and they're just kind of bobbing their heads and they go, we don't know the words of this song yet, but we love it. And they, they post it on Instagram. And then, you know, obviously, you know, 2,500 of my friends text me and they're like, guess who just posted your song? And, <laughs> And I honestly, just being truthful, did not know. Even when I looked him up, I was like, well, that's great. But who, who are these people? You know, I, I didn't know. And so I sent him a message on Instagram and I was just I just said, hey, thanks so much for sharing the music. And we had a remix coming out of Famous shortly after that. So I went ahead and sent him that, too. We just kind of kept in touch for the next six months or so. 
And like you said, the song kind of took off and, and did well enough for me to make a video for it. So I reached out and said, Hey, y'all were the first famous people to post about famous. Would y'all want to be in the would y'all want to be in the video? I mean, Wells, you would have thought you would have thought that I was letting them do something. I mean, they were like, absolutely, yeah. we want to be in the video. And they flew down. And I think learning from them and they've become really good friends of mine now and I love them. And kind of since talking to them, because they met in such a kind of a, a weird way, like on a show or whatever, and, and kind of a cliche way. They they do these they do this thing where they play out scenarios in their heads where they imagine different ways they could have met, yeah. and uh, so I think they they heard that song as like kind of their song from the get go, and then the video treatment was them meeting in a supermarket aisle, and it was kind of one of these things that they had already imagined in their heads. And I think it all just lined up, and I'm glad it did though. I, I love those two. Well, you should start watching The Bachelor, or The Bachelorette, because they have country stars play at dates all the time so we got to get yeah, you I watched, on i watched the chase rice fiasco this year yeah. actually. <laughs> i actually had a i had a bit of an inside track that that was going to happen from colton so i kind of i was paying attention a little closely to that one <laughs> i feel bad for chase but someone had called me up and was like hey what's going to happen i'm gonna i would have said there is no way on god's green earth that he isn't going to play the date with his like ex-girlfriend there like it's just never going to happen so right i wouldn't feel too bad for chase you know what they if they want to have me come play on the show and bring one of my ex-girlfriends up there that's <laughs> fine I, I'll, I'll deal with it just let me play the song in front of millions of people we'll be good to go yeah <laughs> i'm really excited to have you on the show today i don't know if anyone told you kind of the idea behind this show but i'm obsessed about origin stories and where people came from i think it's cool that you have a blue check mark and millions of people you know stream your song now but i want to find out how you got to this place and everyone's story is different and i was doing a little bit of background research on you and i don't know if i would say that like being a country music star was what you set out to be when you left for college so if you don't mind can we go back to your hometown and start from there yeah and you're absolutely right you know i i tell people <laughs> I'm not the kid that was three years old with a microphone in his hand and always knew he wanted to be a country music singer, you know. But yeah, I grew up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I had two really great parents. I still have those parents. I'm at their house right now. And I attribute a lot of who I am and what I turned out to be to them. I think the best thing you can have in the world when, you, when you're born into it is two good parents. And so I grew up, you know, dad was the soccer coach and I, I played literally every sport, um, all the way down to I even found a way to play ice hockey in Mississippi somehow. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but I did that. And, and when I was about 12 years old, I decided I wanted to play golf in college. From that point on, I quit. Uh, I was always kind of on the all star teams and, and whatnot for baseball. Um, and it was it was the time for summer ball for baseball when I was about to be 13. I think that I quit. Um, I said, you know what, I'm going to play golf. And I, I kept doing that. So me and my dad would travel every weekend playing in different tournaments and, you know, working towards that goal of playing golf in college. And that ended up happening. I got a full ride. Actually, they were paying me to go to college extra $400 a month to go to Delta State, which is in North Mississippi, pretty close to Ole Miss. Yeah. Where you actually, I'm pretty sure it's just assumed that there's so little to do at Delta State that you have to either drive to Ole Miss or Mississippi State to do anything, you know? Yeah. I knew um, a bunch of Delta State dudes because they'd come and they hang out at our frat parties and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I bet. That's what I would have done if I'd have gone there. <laughs> and y'all's girls over at Ole Miss look a lot better than Delta State girls, too, I imagine. But 
honestly, that's what I thought. I was excited. I had I kind of verbally committed to this coach. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go play golf. That's great. And keep going through high school. I was playing basketball and uh, golf through high school. And so I remember my senior year, I was at a smaller school. I graduated with 47 people. That's how small my school was. And that was our biggest class yet. Um, so it was my senior year and it was the day of the first baseball game. And I hadn't played since I was 12. And my friends come up to me. They're trying to talk me into playing. They're like, we have a good team this year. We just need one more guy. And so I remember vividly, I walked off the basketball court from practice into a batting cage, hit a bucket of balls, walked onto the field at third base, fielded a bucket of balls, and then started in a baseball game that night. Jesus. And I, and I thought, that'll be fun. You know, why, why not? You know, I got one more year of high school, might as well play baseball. And man, ended up having a, like a good year. I hit over 400 and I was left-handed and 6'4 and Southern Miss was in the same town as my high school. And they were the only school that even knew that I played baseball because I didn't until then. And after the year, my coach walked up to me and goes, Southern Miss offered you a baseball scholarship. And to which I responded, shut up. I literally said, shut up. I was like, no, I thought he was kidding. Totally thought he was kidding. And because they had come to a game two weeks later or two weeks before. And I literally, I struck out three times in a row, all on the same pitch. Like, well, just looked like an idiot. I mean, I was like, well, there went that. So they offered me a scholarship and I've learned about myself. I've always felt I was supposed to do like something bigger than a normal job. I don't know how to explain it, but I've always felt, I go with my gut a lot. And so I got offered this baseball scholarship and I said, well, I just played baseball for one year and Southern Miss was top 25 in the country. Yeah. So I said, I, I can play golf till I'm 95 years old can build a simulation in my garage as you did <laughs> um, <laughs> I said I'm gonna go play baseball and so I did called the golf coach said never mind I'm playing baseball he said you play baseball I said well not really it's a long story but you know ended up passing on it and that's kind of how the whole music thing started you know that that's when I first got introduced to guitars and uh, songs and my when I, I went to Southern Miss all my roommates played guitars like baseball players do to try to get girls you know and they were all playing uh, a bunch of Gavin DeGraw. And I remember Amos Lee was my first favorite vo vocal I'd ever heard. I just remember saying, who is that? And they, they played a lot of that. And so um, I, I've been a drummer. I had a drum set when I was two. My dad was a drummer. My older brother was a drummer. And so I, I've always loved music. But that's when I first started learning songs on guitars and kind of trying to, I would turn Amos Lee up really loud and try to sing along with them and sound semi like him just a little bit you know um and that's kind of where it all started but until then i had never touched a guitar and we played uh three years after taking that scholarship i was walking into the college world series at rosenblatt and so i got to play in the college world series and again had never watched it on tv so i didn't know <laughs> what i was <laughs> i didn't know what i was walking into when i when i and, and you walk in and there's thirty thousand people screaming at you and you're just like you know it's not a feeling that you soon forget and i think that's kind of what that motivation for music to play in front of these huge crowds, that feeling is something that's always stuck with me. From there, I had still not decided on music at all. I was just this guy that played at the house and I, I wanted to now play professional baseball. Um, so I went, I went and played in the Cape Cod League. Uh, I know I probably, I think there's probably 25 people on my Cape Cod team. I think 23 of them are now studs in the MLB. I mean, really? like everybody was so good. Yeah. I remember... I was an alternate for Cape Cod. So I like was almost good enough to go play at Cape Cod and somebody got hurt and they called me up a month through uh, the season. 
And so I hadn't touched the ball or a bat in a month. And I, I show up at the Cape Cod and first person I see, I don't know if you keep up with baseball much, but George Springer on the Astros. Yeah. Um, first person I see is George Springer. He walks up and he's holding, you know how people that are really, really jacked have a gallon of water in their hand at all times. Yeah. They just walk around with water. <laughs> he walks up with a gallon of water and he's got 16 abs and he's just taking BP with no shirt on. And every ball is just way over the fence. It's just way gone. Best athlete I've ever seen, like in person. And so I had to, uh, I had to stay up all night in the batting cage and catch up overnight when I went up there. But, but yeah, I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to play professionally. And my junior year, I had a really, I think that was my best year. Had some offers to go in the draft. Ended up coming back my senior year and not taking that. My senior year, I had a good year, not as good as my junior year, and still had some offers. Ended up turning that down, and I'd kind of started loving music at this point. And it was actually my teammates that made me play a show in front of people for the first time. They would hear me singing around the house. So my my thing is, from the first time I ever sang, even when I didn't, it was probably very bad. The one comment I always got was, hey, you have a really unique voice, or you have a really cool voice. And... So that's kind of what I, I hung on to in this environment of five million male guys trying to be country stars. I said, well, you, you got to have something that people can latch on to. Because I've always loved, you know, like John Mayer is one of my favorites. He can sing the phone book and you know it was John Mayer. Yeah. And I think that's important to have. And I kind of felt like I had that. So that's kind of where the it started. But they, they said that to me. They, they go, you need to sing in front of people. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not singing in front of you. That's terrifying. I'm not doing that. And so sure enough, they went around town and booked shows for me at these little bars in Hattiesburg. The first place I ever played was called Shuckers. It was an oyster bar. It <laughs> held probably 250 people and like 600 people showed up because I had fans from the baseball world, you know. Yeah. So they were really just coming because they knew me from baseball. But they showed up and I sang probably terribly, but it was really fun. And they paid me a lot of money after the show. And I don't know, I kind of got addicted. And so by the time I ended up having to choose between moving to Nashville or uh, trying to go play in the minor leagues, which I was kind of looking at them both as minor leagues. You know, music has its minor leagues, just like baseball. And, you know, I have a business degree and it just made more sense for me to be like, okay, I can work this on my own in Nashville. I can go actually work at this and, and see what happens. So that's what I did. 30 minutes later of the story, it's it's a weird road to get to Nashville for me, but I, I ended up getting there. It's funny. I was doing this in the intro. You know, we've interviewed, I don't know, 30 people and it's there's a common denominator between really successful people and that is it wasn't like I came out of the womb was like I know I want to be that thing it's that they're good at a lot of things and then the thing that they probably should have done they decided not to do it because it didn't bring them as much joy as the thing that they ended up becoming really successful at which sounds exactly like what you're saying I want to rewind the reels a little bit because I am kind of blown away by this story <laughs> <laughs> Because, okay, so you you seem like, and don't take this as a slight to you, but you seem like the guy that's fucking good at everything. <laughs> You're that guy. I, and I, you know what? I played ball in college. I know those guys. I love those guys, but also you're a little annoying. Okay. Just right off the bat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I want to know how good of a golfer are you? Cause I'm a golfer too. Were, were you a scratch golfer in, in high school? Yeah, I was, uh, my best round I think was a 67. Mm. Um, so I would, I would shoot, you know, under par here and there. I, I was never the most consistent golfer. I would also, I would shoot tournaments on the weekends. I would go 68, 79. You wow. know, it was, it was, you know, you never really knew what you're going to get with me, but yeah, I was good at one point. I'm a lefty too. So I, short game was my, 
you know, get out of trouble and short game were my bread and butter. Yeah. You're Phil. Effectively. Yes. He was my idol. Yeah. You're a great golfer. You get an offer to go play collegiate golf. You hadn't picked up a baseball bat or thrown a baseball since you were 12 years old. You go play that senior year season. You get offered the Southern Miss scholarship. Was the Delta State AD like, screw you, dude. I offered you this like years ago. You know what? He probably was. I remember <laughs> call. I remember calling. And I remember thinking that he he took it really well. Yeah. Like if, if he was feeling that way, then he didn't show me that, which was nice of him because I'm sure he was because I was I was the the freshman or the senior in high school that they that came in and they they did the whole they showed me all the cool fields to drink in at Delta State. Yeah. You know? I mean, they really gave me the tour and they even said we've never offered a freshman this much money. And they did the whole the whole spiel. And it was a big thing for them. And I did. I called back a year later and said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And it was it was an awkward phone call, but he did. He took it really well. How do your parents react to this? You know what? I ask myself this question all the time. Like my parents have done the same thing since they were. My dad's been working at the electrical company that his dad started since he was like eight years old. His whole life. And my mom worked as a typewriter in a courtroom since she was like 16 years old, the whole their whole lives, which is probably why I'm so erratic with what I tried to figure out what to do. But they uh, also took it well. I have really great parents. Yeah. I, I can't I didn't realize in the moment how crazy I must have sounded by, first of all, switching from a full ride to, hey, you don't have to pay for my college to the baseball scholarship was good, but it wasn't a full ride. Yeah. And um, I switched that. They handled it really well. Um, I had worked at my dad's electrical company every winter or summer break I've had. So I'm a, I'm kind of a hack electrician. Like if you had something broken, I could probably fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and it was kind of, you know, a little bit expected that I would stay in my hometown and go work at the electrical company after I finished baseball, if, if professionally didn't work out. And so after, prof after professionally didn't work out, I did work there for probably half a year. And then I walked into my dad's office and said, Hey dad, I think I want to move to Nashville. Both my parents thought I'd be back home in a year for yeah. sure. I mean, they, my mom was like, you'll be back in a year. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, but that is a question I ask all the time. It's like, wow, my parents have handled this really, really well. I mean, they could have, they really could have gone off the deep end and just told me I was crazy. And I might've even believed them because I, looking back, I was crazy. And there's a song on my new EP. It's one of my favorite songs I've, I've written. It's called Mom and Daddy's Money. And it's a real looking back tribute to them. And it's it sounds kind of like a funny title, but it's really not. That would encourage people to listen to that one. And you too, if, if you uh, if that's kind of your thing. But it, it's my it's my thank you for handling my, my craziness so well uh, song to them. So they did. They, they, they took it really well. And they've been nothing but supportive uh, in all of my random decisions and career choices. I've found this to be true with a lot of successful people and also in, in my own career that sometimes the most powerful word and the word that like will make you the most money or make you have the most success is the word no. You had to say no to Delta State to go play golf there. You had to say no in your junior year going playing professional baseball. Why the hell did you not take the deal your junior year and why did you decide to come back for your senior year you know when i got offered and i had an interesting baseball career so 
you probably heard of this thing happening before, but when I got I got recruited by a guy that after my freshman year left to go to a different school. Yeah. So I was, you know, when you get recruited by somebody, they obviously want you to do really well. And so I was there for one year, which I redshirted my first year. So didn't get to play under this guy at all. Then a new coach comes in and he obviously has all of his recruits that he wants to do really well. So I was kind of fighting. I had this really big chip on my shoulder the whole time. Mm-hmm. There's a guy, his name is Lane Burroughs. He was the guy that recruited me to take the scholarship. So as that happens, the guys who recruit you are the ones that they're your champions. They want you to be, they want you to do well. They want you to start. They want you to get drafted, all of that good stuff. And so after my redshirt freshman year, Lane Burroughs took another job and switched schools. So in comes this other guy with all of his recruits and, and people he's had his eyes on. And so I had to, there was a bit of a, uh, had to work a little harder to get the same amount thing that I had going on in, in school. Um, and I was also this guy that had just played baseball for one year and was now on a top 25 team. Yeah. You know, there was, there was probably a little doubt that I had to kind of prove to coaches as well. So, um, same thing works with the draft. So the new guy comes in and he's been there for, I guess two or three years by the time I'm eligible to get drafted. And so he's really pushing for, um, you know, his guys to get drafted more so than the guy that he didn't recruit. And so that was, that. it all kind of works together that way. But the reason I didn't take it was, A of all, I was having a blast in college. I loved college and, and just was, just kind of felt like I was where I was supposed to be. And it was a late round uh, draft pick as well. And so it was just, you know, I, I figured go come back, have another good year, get drafted better, uh, get drafted higher or, um, you know, take it now. And I, I don't want it to come back and and hang with my friends and have one more year of college, I think. But and also it just goes back to that gut feeling thing for me. I just didn't feel like this is your shot. This is what you're supposed to do. I didn't have the same feeling I had when I was turning down the golf scholarship to go play baseball. You know, I just kind of felt like it, it wasn't where I needed to be. And so I, I just said no. What's more terrifying, playing in the College World Series in front of 30,000 fans or playing the first gig ever at Shuckers in Hattiesburg in front of 600 people? Oh, man, probably Shuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of built for 30,000 people. Shuckers was uh, the microphone in front of my face that night was, was mighty nerve wracking. It's funny. People kind of ask that question going forward. The stage I'm at in my career now where we're getting to play for, you know, 10,000 people on one night or something like that. And they're like, man, are you just so nervous? And I'm like, no, in my head, this is where I was standing singing them. You know, I was, this is, I write the songs to sing to this environment. Mm -hmm. I'm just finally here now. You know, that's not nerve wracking more so as exciting, you know. At what point did you realize that baseball wasn't the answer and that music was? Was there an aha moment? I don't know that there was an aha moment for me. It wasn't a light bulb that came on and said, I was supposed to be uh, a singer songwriter in Nashville this whole time. I I never had that. It was just little stepping stones along the way. You know, I wrote my first songs ever with uh, my baseball teammates, Uh, like in class. We (laughs) would write these songs and I, I had recorded five of them and put them online. And this is after I'd already, you know, baseball, my senior year of baseball wasn't as good as my junior and the draft pick didn't get any higher. And I was just, you know, no, that's not the, that's not the thing. And um, I remember I'd put them on YouTube. I had written this song called Travel On and it got like 500,000 views on YouTube, just kind of out of the blue. Anyway, I heard from this guy. 
I won't say his name because it doesn't matter, but it was just manager type in Nashville. Ended up being not a great thing or a great guy, but <laughs> he he did he did urge me once a week to move to Nashville. Come just get to Nashville and, and write just come up here and write. And so I slowly started I would drive up there for a couple weeks and, and I would drive back. I'd write songs and drive back and go back to work. And and meanwhile I was playing I, like I told you, I'm a business major, so I was trying to make this into a business. I was playing 200 shows a year on the road while working a full-time job as an electrician. So I was, you know, rarely in the same place, but I was going back and forth. And I did the same thing when I finally moved to Nashville. I would, I was there for half the month and then on the road playing really shitty gigs for half, for half the month. I mean, but I was just trying, I was all in the Southeast and trying to make money because I had to pay my rent in Nashville, mm -hmm. you know? And so it was, it was that, it was that manager and that went to like another manager. And then it was two years of really the first two years were the hardest. The first two years were like, okay, was my mom right? Do I need to just go back home? Cause I've got this nice job at home. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I know what life would look like and it would have been the easy way, but part of me hates the easy way. I, I think I am the way I am. Some people end up the exact same as their parents. I ended up, I think just going against going the opposite way that my parents went, you know? And so it was a lot of that, uh, just meeting people in Nashville. And, and those two years were kind of stagnant other than playing the live shows. And then it was two years later where, and this is what I say all the time. My, my journey has not been the overnight thing. It's been a lot of no's, you know, you get told no more in this industry, probably more than any other industry. And even my first success was a no. We played one of these managers had me a showcase for a record label. It was in like a rehearsal room. So it was just us on the stage and then a bunch of music execs with their arms crossed saying they're looking at you. And we played six songs. And then afterwards, you know, the record label comes up and they go, oh, we think you're really talented, but just need a little more time. Not Now's not the time for us. And so we got passed on by a label. But right after the label left, up walks Sony ATV Publishing who happened to also be at the show. And he walks up and said, man, I think you're really great. I'd love to sign you to a publishing deal. And so it was like, you know, a no and a, a really cool yes. We got a yes from something I didn't even know I was playing towards yeah. that night. And so that was the first, that was the first time I'm like, okay, now I'm writing songs for a living. I'm getting paid to write songs. Um, he actually, he actually said, I want you to come. It wasn't a deal on the spot. He said, I want you to come into my office. Let's talk about it. Play me some songs. I've never met Kenny Chesney. But Kenny Chesney was a big part of me getting my first publishing deal. Yeah. There was this song called She Was Right. And it was one of the, like the first good songs I'd ever written. I played it for Troy in his office. And Troy stops right after. And he goes, hold on one second. He goes, I'm going to send this song to Kenny Chesney. He made me record the song on a voice memo. He emails it to Kenny Chesney on the spot in the, in the meeting. He emails it to Kenny Chesney and send five minutes later. Thank you, Kenny. Kenny responds with like, O-M-F-N-G, yeah. <laughs> I want to cut this song while I'm still in the meeting. And so now I'm an independent writer with a, probably a, a Kenny Chesney cut, you know. And so Troy's like, then I got my deal like the next week and everything yeah. has kind of unfolded from there. But big thanks to Kenny Chesney there. <laughs> <laughs> You've written songs for a lot of really famous musicians. Who else has ripped off your genius? Oh, that's mighty nice of you to call it genius. My first ever cut was Kane Brown. Kane is a buddy of mine. We actually picked Kane up on the way to go record the demo for this song. And he just happened to be there. And while we were recording it, he just loved it and recorded it. So that was my first, my first cut. My second 
was Darius Rucker. Hootie and the Cracked Rear View was like my one of my first records I had. And so Darius is another guy I've still never met. I think he's a good golfer as well. We ought to take him to Pebble. Yeah. Um, but Darius, I've still never met the guy, but he's one of the few guys that we're kind of similar. We sing kind of the same way. His manager heard the song I'd written called Don't and sent it to Darius and Darius loved it, recorded it. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Can't get any better than this. And then that comes out. And the next, I think eight months later, Hootie and the Blowfish has decided to get back together. And this is when you move to Nashville, you have goals and dreams of things you hope you can accomplish, but getting a, getting on a Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> record was not even, it's not even possible. Right. And then all of a sudden they're back together. And we, so Sony has this writing camp uh, that kind of all the songs are geared towards Hooting the Blowfish. And for a lot of people, they're country writers who have to try to try, try to write Hooting the Blowfish. I'm more down that lane naturally anyway. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be great. And I wrote a song and sure enough, I heard back and Hooting the Blowfish recorded it. It's called Rollin'. Um, and that happened last year, which was, that was one of the coolest things. I mean, I got to, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then um, Jeff Trott, their producer called me in and actually let me sing harmonies on the song with Darius separately still haven't met him but I got to sing the harmonies on the record so that was that was pretty cool is there any musician or band because I'm a big put it out in the universe and it probably will happen is there any musician or band that you would love to have them cut your song aside from the stable of amazing musicians that have already done it with you that's an interesting question because normally it's who would you want to work with but this is record your song there's a couple people if Chris Stapleton were to record one of my songs, that would make me really happy because he doesn't need to. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he's got such, he's an incredible song. He was a songwriter longer than he has been an artist. But people like that, if he were to hear something that, you know, the ultimate compliment is God, if somebody, if somebody basically says F you in the writing world, it's, it's the ultimate compliment. He's like, God, I wish I would have written that. That would be cool to see Chris do that. Or, I've I've already mentioned him, but probably I would love to hear Amos Lee yeah. sing sing anything that I've written, uh, even a word of. That'd be pretty pretty awesome. Speaking of things that you have written, I want to get you to play famous. Is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Adam Doliak is going to play the song that is just going crazy right now on radio and streaming services. A song called Famous. So stick around for the Wells cast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure 
it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, back on the Wells cast. Very excited to have Adam Doliak on the show. He just released an EP called Famous. And before I let you go, I really would love to hear you play some of that. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I'd love to play that for you. All right, guys. This is the first time we've ever had anyone perform on the show. So Adam, take it away, man. All right. Must have been living under a rock. Must have not left the house for a couple of years. All the telephones, TVs, radios off. Put a blindfold on and cotton in my ears. Cause you got this sense to me, recognizable quality about you, baby. Yeah, I gotta say. Girl, you look famous, like South Beach or Vega, all up in the paper, in the supermarket aisle. That dress on you, I swear, I know you from somewhere, gotta know what's your name. Girl, you look famous when you smile, famous when you smile. 
Adam Doliak yeah. live on the Wells cast. That's the title track to a brand new EP called Famous. Download it, stream it, buy it from your website is probably the, the most direct way to inject some money into your bank account. <laughs> Uh, is it yeah. is it available on uh, vinyl as well? I'm waiting for the full record for vinyl, but that will that will definitely be something I do when I get to make the full record, probably later this year, early next year. Very cool. Your story is crazy, man. I'm just always blown away by the similarities that other famous actors, musicians, they all have, and and uh, the common denominator is that probably should have done something else, but you decided to do what you loved. And that old adage of, you know, do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life is true. I feel like it also makes the hard parts that much easier because you still are happy with what you're doing. Even the no's from, you know, Sony or whatever, whatever uh, record deal it was, it still makes it all worthwhile because you love it. I think you're absolutely right. And I tell people this all the time type of person that I am, if you're not comfortable with being told no. And I think it's probably another common denominator with a lot of these people that have crazy stories is it's almost, we're almost more comfortable being told no than mm -hmm. yes. You know, when people, when something goes the right way or somebody says, yes, you're great. I'm like, I don't, I don't even really know what to do. Yeah. You know, I'm just <laughs> like, no, why'd you say that? I'm, I'm just expecting a no so I can keep working at it. You know, it's, that's why I like to describe this as a lot of no's with little yeses attached. Cause yeah. that's, that is what it's been for me. And I, I wouldn't have rathered it any other way. And, and you're right. Looking back, um, you know, Sony who ended up offering me a record deal, and, and the one I ended up signing last year, they offered me one in 2016 as well. And I, I told them, no, there's that word again, which no one does. No one turns down record deals. But I told them no, because I figured if I didn't have it going independently myself, it really didn't matter if I, somebody else would just come along and hop in front of me. So I did. And sure enough, the day I signed my current record deal, Randy Goodman, the president, uh, CEO of Sony, walks up and he goes, Best thing you ever did was turn down that deal I offered you a couple of years ago. <laughs> so funny you say that story. I had Gavin DeGraw on the show, I don't know, 10 episodes back, and he was telling the story of when he got offered his record deal. He said no, just like you, he said no to it. The way that he rationalized it, which I, which I loved, he said, they offered me not very much money. When I went back to them, I said I couldn't take the deal because if that's how much you think that I'm worth, then I'm not worth enough yet. And I need to go practice and work on my craft to get to a point. So you have to pay me more money because you know I'm worth it. Yeah. And that's and that's essentially the same thing that happened to me, except I wasn't looking at it. for. I never got far enough in the deal to see a dollar amount to see, OK, this is up. But I did see a time. Yeah. A time stamp. And they had said, uh we'll get to you in about a year. I think you need about a year. We want to sign you now, but we'll get your stuff out in the year. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I said, well, if you're not ready to go right now, then either somebody else is, or I'm not where I need to be to be in this, in this deal. It did the same thing. Uh, I want to let you go. I want to be respectful of your time. But before I do, do you mind doing some rapid fire questions? Not at all. All right. Adam Doliak on the Wells cast rapid fire questions starting right now. What is your favorite book? Ooh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, I just finished that. Great book. Me too. Me too. Who was your first kiss? Tori Napier. Everyone always remembers their full name. It's amazing. Your first car? <laughs> Toyota 4Runner, 2006. Who would you call to get you out of jail? My girlfriend, McKinnon Morrissey. And depending on what you did, I suppose. True that. True that. Uh, biggest pet peeve? 
traffic. Speed bumps, actually. Speed bumps. Teacher that influenced you the most? Miss Carter, fourth grade. Did you have a poster hanging on your bedroom wall? I did. Several. Uh, the one that's coming to mind right now is Dave Matthews Band. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'll pivot. What was your favorite Dave Matthews Band record? It was my first CD I ever owned was Dave Matthews Band, Live at Red Rocks, 1995. And I got it right at the same time. My brother gave it to me. And it was right at the same time that I got that Forerunner I just mentioned. And so I just wore that CD out. I think that I go live at Luther College. I was the same kid. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser. And my first concert ever was Dave Matthews Band at Shoreline Amphitheater. What was your first concert ever? Oh, man. It's kind of an embarrassing one. Uh First concert ever was, the lineup is insane. The headliner was NSYNC. Yeah. The opener was Britney Spears. And the opener for Britney Spears was a girl band called Bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to end it right there. Adam Dillyak, thank you so much for being on the Wells cast. Your story was so cool, so interesting. I love the song Famous, despite Colton being on the music video. <laughs> Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or promote? No, I think you did perfectly. Just the new EP out right now. Uh, excited to have that new music out. These songs are from, you know, four or five years ago and then even eight months to a year ago. So it's cool to see them all on the same track listing and uh, hope everybody's enjoying listening to it. People want to find you. Where do they go? Anywhere you look, you'll find me, unfortunately. But you can just go to adamdoliak.com and it'll take you to any of the socials. And that's probably the easiest way. Your, your last name is spelled kind of interestingly. It's D-O-L-E-A-C, right? C. Yeah, Doliak. Uh, people make it harder than it actually is. You just sound it right on out. Doliak. Yeah. It's, it's really true. Adam, dude, thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure to talk to you. Be safe out there. And hopefully when this all is over, we'll go play some golf together. I was just going to say, I can't wait to play some golf, man. Thank you so much for having me, dude. I enjoyed it. Yeah. See you, man. See you, buddy. Later. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.